It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the moment last. Just kicking down. Well, welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist. And this show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company specializing in life-changing nutrition education and therapeutic nutrition counseling. Joining me today as our co-host is Brenna Thompson, and Brenna is a registered and licensed dietitian. In addition... You're going to soon complete your master's degree in One nutrition. One class to go. Yay. Yes. So, you know, as a student of nutrition, Brenna loves to keep up on the current nutrition research, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. Yes. So, you know, this topic today was exactly perfect for her because I know she loves to research it. So welcome to the show, Brenna. Good morning. And uh, we have lots of information to share about memory loss, dementia, and Alzheimer's disease. We sure do. And originally we had invited Dr. Maurice Dyskin to join us today to talk about his research conducted at the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System on vitamin E and Alzheimer's. But due to a family commitment, he had to reschedule. So we will actually have him on in April. But we still wanted to share some of his findings because Alzheimer's disease has reached an epic proportion. But, you know, on on top of that, you read all the research studies, his research study. I did read his research study, yes. And you wrote an article for Nutritional Weight and Wellness Newsletter, which Mm -hmm. came out on Tuesday, I think. Yes. And you really, you kind of like, kind of wanted to discuss the results I did. I really, I thought the results of the research was really interesting. And then as I was just doing more research about vitamin E, I thought it was really intriguing just the way it works in our bodies. So let's dive into this and touch a little bit more on what Dr. Dyskin found about the vitamin E and Alzheimer's disease. Right. Well, basically, Dr. Dyskin found that vitamin E can slow the progression of mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease. So that's kind of an interesting, I mean, this is kind of new, isn't it? This is new. This is, uh, they've been looking for medications to try and do this. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, this is the first time any research treatment has been shown to alter the course of dementia at that kind of that mild to moderate stage. Right. So now this is, this is, we're talking not just supplements and vitamins, are we? Mm -mm. We're talking medications too. Right. This is the first treatment. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. This is huge. And Mm -hmm. what the treatment was, was that they gave 600 older veterans, so 600 people in a study. That's a good number of people. Right. This is, this is a major study. And they gave these 600 older veterans high doses of vitamin E, which was about 2,000 IUs daily. And, you know, when we think about vitamin E, typically people take 400 a day right. of, I, of, of vitamin E. I use vitamin D. So, of vitamin E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, they take more vitamin D, but of vitamin E, they take about 400 usually. So, 200 or 2,000. 
Get my words going today. Tongue-tied today. Yes. But yeah, so 2,000 IUs daily of this vitamin E. So that's a lot of vitamin E. And what they found was that these veterans declined slower in their ability to complete daily living skills, such as making meals, getting dressed, or holding a conversation. So that's kind of amazing. That's just, those are really critical things. Right. And for people who have never really been around somebody with Alzheimer's, they might not understand the importance Mm -hmm. of that. But for anybody who's cared for someone with dementia or Alzheimer's, having just the ability to make a meal for themselves, even if it's just maybe scrambling an egg right? or pulling some yogurt out of the refrigerator Mm -hmm. on their own, that's a lot. Yes. So really, this research found that these veterans were able to function better for about six months longer over a two-year period of time. Now, some people would say that doesn't sound like much, but that's true. It doesn't sound like much, but the veterans taking vitamin E required less help from caregivers. And it was pretty amazing. It was two hours, fewer hours each day compared to the veterans that weren't getting vitamin E. So that's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours, especially over six months. Mm -hmm. And imagine what you can do with two extra hours in your day if you're not having to care for someone. That they actually are taking care of themselves more, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. And the study, there's another study found that the vitamin, no, you have vitamin C written. Oh, no, that's a typo. That's a typo. Yes. But so this vitamin E, 2000 I use daily, also slowed the progression of just this, the progression of the disease. Yes. So many experts believe this is truly a breakthrough research. And what Alzheimer's researchers and doctors have been working toward for over 30 years. The first true disease-modifying intervention that has been found. It's huge. It is. Yeah. And in the U.S., about 5 million people have Alzheimer's, and there is no cure, and current medications just temporarily ease the symptoms. So I think it's time for us to look more on the prevention side. You know, and I think that's even, Brenna, what you just said there is pretty... Uh, new for people to think, because I think a lot of people believe that, oh, if you've got Alzheimer's, you just pop a pill and you're going to get better. No. And they really haven't found anything that has worked so far. No, the medications just kind of ease those symptoms, but the disease still progresses. So truly, there is not a medicine to cure Alzheimer's. So, you know, we really can't rely on our doctors to write a prescription to stop the progression. Um, each of us must make a decision. You know, what are we going to do? Do we want to follow a prevention model or do we want to follow an eating and drinking lifestyle that inflames the brain and leads us down the path of Alzheimer's? You know, it's kind of like we know that there isn't a medication, so we have to kind of start looking at a prevention plan. And I think it's a question that each person must ask themselves And they must consider it kind of on a daily basis. And, you know, Brenna, maybe at your age, (laughs) you've never thought about this. Well, now working here, I have. (laughs) (laughs) But I think at my age and people that are over 50 Mm -hmm. really start to think of this and they need to. They need to start thinking of it on a daily basis on what they're going to do 
it to apply a prevention model or a prevention way of thinking to their lifestyle. Right. Well, and I think that when people, particularly when I have clients who they come in and they say, I have a family history yes. of Alzheimer's or dementia, and they've seen the disease firsthand, no matter what age they are, they come in and they say, I need to prevent this. Yes. What can I do? Yes. And if that's you, if you look at your family and you have those people, then I think today's show is very applicable. Exactly. And when we look at those lifestyle factors that can increase your risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease, we know a big one is smoking. Definitely. It's always the first one on the list. The first one, it's smoking. And smoking does increase the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. So if you smoke and can't quit, maybe it's time to think about You can check yourself into an inpatient program at the Mayo Clinic. I don't even to to stop smoking, right? To stop smoking. I don't even think people realize that there are inpatient treatment centers (laughs) for people that I would call really hardcore smokers or people that are so addicted, they just can't stop. They can't stop. And or maybe if they don't want to check themselves in at the Mayo Clinic for their stop smoking program, Maybe they want to make an appointment at Nutritional Weight and Wellness because we have helped people quit smoking by using some Crave Control Plus and the homeopathic Wise Choice Stop Smoking and Balanced Eating because then quitting the smoking habit is possible. Yes. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about that, you know, you balance out your foods, you take some things that reduces cravings, which is the Crave Control Plus, and then you take this homeopathic, and it eases the anxiety that people get as they're quitting smoking. And maybe they get a massage, and maybe they have <laughs> acupuncture treatment, and maybe some of these other things. And pretty soon, in a month, they have quit smoking. So not only does tobacco increase your risk of Alzheimer's, but also the use of marijuana causes the brain to change. And I don't think a lot of people know that. I don't think so. Now, maybe people using marijuana might know that. Or maybe they don't want to think about it. Right. But do, do, do you know what happens? It slows the activities in the brain that involves focus, concentration, motivation, learning, and mood control. So if it affects that, it would seem that long-term use of marijuana has the potential to increase the risk of developing Alzheimer's. I would think so. But we have to go to break. Oh, okay. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, a recent study published in the Journal of American Medical Association, Internal Medicine, with 40,000 people, found those with the highest sugar intake had a fourfold increase in their risk of heart attack when compared to those with the lowest intake of sugar. Now, when we say fourfold increase, that means 400% higher risk. That's amazing, That's isn't it? Really big. So if you are eating the weight and wellness way, you have a very low risk compared to your neighbor who may be eating low fat, high carb. The food pyramid way or the new my plate way, low fat, high carb. He or she has as a much higher risk of heart disease. Remember, sugar creates inflammation throughout your body, including your blood vessels and your brain. But if you've got questions for us today, give us a call in studio at 651 641 1071. 
If you're like me, you try to eat right, but the definition of healthy eating seems like a moving target. Should I eat low-carb or low-fat? Do eggs and butter raise my cholesterol? Is coffee good after all? Don't rely on sound bites and infomercials for something as important as your health. You deserve recommendations based on biochemistry. Nutritional Weight and Wellness is offering My Talk 1071 listeners a complimentary e-newsletter that is chock full of nutrition information and tips. The Weight and Wellness Way newsletter provides sound information and practical strategies from a nutritionist's perspective. Learn a natural approach to healthy eating based on real whole foods you buy at the grocery store. All this and best of all, it's free. To subscribe to the complimentary Weight and Wellness Way e-newsletter, go to weightandwellness.com and enter your email address. Then watch your inbox every month for nutrition news and special offers that will help you look and feel your best. For information on other services at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, call 651-699-3438. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, I want to point out a fantastic opinion article that appeared in the Minneapolis Star Tribune this past Wednesday, February 12th, entitled, Treat Addiction as the Illness It Is. It was written by William Moyers, who is the vice president of Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation. And he started the article with, My father and I relapsed from our chronic illness at almost the same moment in 1994. That's an interesting statement. Yeah. William Moyer's father is Bill Moyer's. You know, he's a rather famous dad. And many of you have seen him on PBS and other specials. And Bill Moyer's should have been following his four-step heart recovery plan, which was more exercise, less stress, no Cuban cigars, and eating smaller portions. But guess what? He didn't continue to follow it. So he relapsed and needed open-heart surgery. Wow. And no one judged him. You know, no one judged him. Well, everyone questioned and judged William Moyers, who relapsed into drugs after three or four years of sobriety. You know, both William and Bill Moyers have recovered because they changed their lifestyle habits and they have stuck to their recovery plan. Today, today they both are following their relapse prevention plan. So my takeaway from this article is most of us need a recovery plan if by any chance we have a chronic health condition. And I was thinking about what does that mean? What is a chronic health condition? Well, I think of type 2 as be, type two diabetes as a chronic health condition. Well, it, it certainly is. And I think of asthma as a chronic health problem. Mm-hmm. I think as arthritis is a chronic health problem. I think of uh, maybe just back pain as a chronic health problem. I think of ongoing weight issues as a chronic health problem. That yo-yo dieting. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know... So you can kind of think there's a lot of people with a lot of chronic illnesses. And, you know, we need a daily recovery plan. And I think that it fits in very top with our topic today, Alzheimer's prevention. So nutrition support is a major factor in any prevention plan. And I don't know if people have questions today, but it's 651-641-1071. And on that topic of 
recovery or I don't know, substance abuse. We before the break, we were talking about marijuana and tobacco. But and you were talking about how just marijuana causes our brain to change, slowing the activity mm-hmm. in our brains that involve the focus and concentration and motivation. But you know, it's not just the chronic overuse of say marijuana or tobacco, but it's also alcohol mm-hmm. plays yes. a big role in this as well. And maybe not just overuse of alcohol, but if somebody's a binge drinker. And we hear about that all the time now of college students. Yes. And high school students. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, and when we say binge drinking, that's somebody who on one or two nights a week is drinking four or five drinks. Or more. Or more. Mm-hmm. Often more. Yes. And maybe somebody is just an addictive type drinker and you want to be able to recognize your children when you're a little bit older. It might be time to, again, check yourself into treatment or at least make an appointment with a nutritionist to help you reduce your cravings, your cravings for alcohol, whether it's the wine at night or a beer to unwind from work all the time. Well, we have just one brain and we need to protect it. And that's why we put on a helmet before we go bike riding. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Brenna, you and I work with a lot of people that it's so easy to get into first having a glass of wine at night. And that's usually how it starts. Which is not that bad, really, one (laughs) glass. Right. Although there's got more risk for women. Mm -hmm. But then what happens? Somehow that one glass, and maybe it started out as one glass on a Thursday or Friday night. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into one glass of wine every night. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it's turned into the one glass before supper and the one glass after supper. And then I've heard, you know, so many couples say, well, we split a bottle of wine every night. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably at least two and a half or three glasses of wine per person. And then we're starting to go up and up and up on that. Yeah. Too much alcohol. So, you know, listeners, you might be saying to yourself, you know, I don't smoke and I don't do drugs and I don't have wine very often. But research from the Mayo Clinic really tells us that you could still be at risk. So you don't do any of those obvious ones. So what are you doing? Well, this new study at the Mayo Clinic found that older people who load their plates with processed carbs have four times the risk of developing mild cognitive impairment, which is often a precursor to Alzheimer's disease. So I think, didn't you say before? Before break, yeah. That that four times is actually? About 400%. Higher. Higher risk of developing that Alzheimer's disease. So loading your plate up with processed carbs. Hmm, that's interesting. So that may be the reason that 5 million people in the U.S. have Alzheimer's. You know, the lead researcher at the Mayo Clinic in this study was is Dr. Rosebud Roberts. She found those people who ate the most calories from pasta rice, bread, muffins, cakes, and cookies were associated with a much higher risk than people who loaded up their plate with chicken or fish or turkey or beef. That's got, so it's going back to that carb stuff, isn't it? It is going back to that carb stuff. And we have a caller. Oh, 
just let me finish one okay. sentence. <laughs> let me finish one sentence. But the people that ate the protein, the, the chicken, the fish, the turkey, and the beef, they had a 21% lower risk of having brain issues. That's amazing. Yes. We're going to take a caller. Okay. Yeah. Good morning, Miss Mary. You're in Dishing Up Nutrition. You have a question? Hi. Um, I had a question about the vitamin E study. I'm wondering yes. if there was, if anyone has read about, there was a study about too much vitamin E having a bad effect on heart or heart disease. I know there was a few months ago, there was one study that came out saying that but I think when you look at when you're dealing with Alzheimer's and doing that, I mean, I think this is going to be a great question when Dr. Dyskin is on the show in April, because yeah, how did they, yeah, I mean, you know, personally, I think my, I would, I personally would take 400 IUs of vitamin E every day. Mm-hmm. I just think it's brain protective. Um it may not be enough, but it certainly would be protective. And I also am very concerned about any cardiovascular issues because of my family history. So that's that's how I that would be my intake my my thoughts on this. But it's a good question to rise, raise. So um okay. you know, I think there's been hundreds and hundreds of studies that show that vitamin E supports cardiovascular health. So it's a potent antioxidant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and but, I guess we lost her. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, so even we, we were talking about the study that was done at the Mayo Clinic. Yes. And it showed that lots of processed carbs mm-hmm. increases the risk of dementia, whereas having plenty of protein actually lowered the risk by 21%. And even better, those people with a high fat diet from nuts. And olive oil and seeds and avocados and butter actually dropped their risk by 42%. Well, that makes sense because we know the brain is basically made out of fat. So we need lots of fats in our diet, good fats, to support that. And we know that processed carbs are bad for the brain while these real fats and real proteins, the meat, the fish and eggs, they are good for the brain. Now, Dr. Roberts, you know, the lead researcher... She's been a researcher at the Mayo Clinic for 20 years. And really, what from her articles, she recommends a balanced diet of real protein, real fats, and real carbs, but coming mainly from vegetables. So actually, her research would support the weight and wellness way of eating. You know, and what we really say is eat real meat and fish. You know, not foods like chicken nuggets. Or fish sticks. Yeah. And real carbs, you know, broccoli, spinach, sweet potatoes, real fats mm-hmm. also, like olive oil, butter, nuts, coconut oil, avocados. And I know all long-term listeners have been hearing us say this for a long oh, time. Oh, yes. But we got to do it. Yep. That's right. And we got to go to break. Okay. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Now that you have eaten your Valentine's chocolates and maybe <laughs> treated yourself to an extra glass of wine... And potentially maybe an extra roll from the bread basket. Or the whole bread basket. Or the whole bread basket. (laughs) Yes. You may be finally ready to change your eating habits. Maybe you are sick and tired of your tight pants or your cravings controlling your life. Now 
you are ready to feel better. So I encourage you to sign up for our Nutrition for Weight Loss program starting this coming week. Just call 651-699-3438 or go online to weightandwellness.com to sign up. So welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, I believe the article that was written by William Moyers so well expressed the need to have a program and a plan to make changes in our lifestyle habits to support our health. And we need to stay with that plan. We just don't do it for a couple of weeks and then suddenly it's gone. No, you got to keep going. And this is really, you need a plan for Alzheimer's prevention. You know, you need a plan for heart disease prevention, diabetes prevention, or to lose weight, or even just have more energy. Just to feel good. Yeah. So really, the Nutritional Weight and Wellness Nutrition for Weight Loss Program offers you the knowledge, it offers you the support, the accountability, and it's based on real food. Mm-hmm. And people don't even think that they're on a, what, diet. No, they're, they're not. They're just on a real health eating plan. It supports the heart health, the brain health, and weight loss. Mm-hmm. So if you have questions uh, and today, call 651-641-1071. To sign up for Nutrition for Weight Loss, call 651-699-3438. Or you can go online at weightandwellness.com. And should we take a caller? Yes, I think we should. Good morning, Miss Lori. You have a question? Yes, good morning. I was wondering if you could tell us what the appropriate amounts of butter and olive oil and coconut oil and those things would be. Sure. You know, when I look at that, I look at anywhere from, say, 10 grams to 14 grams of fat per meal and and snack. So what does that mean, Brenna? Well, if you're looking at, say, your butter or your olive oil, maybe those cooking fats, it's about a tablespoon, essentially. Mm -hmm. A couple teaspoons to a tablespoon. Per and then meal? per meal, yes. And snack. And snack. Okay. And then if you're mm-hmm. maybe having a salad and you want to put some salad dressing on there, it'd be about two tablespoons. Sure, because there's some vinegar in that. Right. Okay. Or if you're having my favorite fat, some avocado, then you might want to have a third to a half of an avocado. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then if you mash it all up, it's about a quarter cup of guacamole. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. And should we uh-huh. talk about nuts? Yes, I think we should talk about nuts because those can get people into a little bit of a bind. Kind of like around a quarter of a cup of nuts, mm-hmm. you know, once or twice a day. Yeah. But sometimes people start overeating those. And what happens is the downside is it causes constipation for some people. Yes. Or if people are trying to lose weight, it stalls their weight loss. Yes. So you can have too many nuts. Mm-hmm. But a quarter cup or about an ounce. Yeah, and mm-hmm. probably six to ten olives. Would yes. be a, a serving size. Mm-hmm. Did so we the, get all those for you, Lori? <laughs> That's great. Thank you. You're all welcome. Right. Bye. Bye. So, Brandon, before break, we were talking about what this research study that was done at the Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about uh, processed carbs processed and real carbs. carbs. Yeah. And why processed carbs might be so bad for our brain. Well, the answer is because things like pasta and cereal, and pancakes, and right now we are getting into Girl Scout cookie season. Oh, yes. Yes. All of these turn to sugar when they are digested. And in our weight and wellness classes, we share the formula that four grams of carbohydrate turns into one teaspoon of sugar in the body. 
Now that means that, let's say last night you went out for pasta. Yes. You went out for your Valentine's Day pasta dinner. And a lot of times you're going to get at least three cups of pasta with that meal. That's a typical serving size, you know, at home and even in restaurants. And that's going to be 100 grams of carbohydrate. So if people are real quick with their calculators or their brain, we take that 100 grams of carbohydrate, we divide it by four, and that tells us that that three cups of pasta just turned into 25 teaspoons of sugar in their body. And what's that? Inflammation. Inflammation, and it is? Bad for the brain. (laughs) That is not brain food. Or maybe today they were planning on having a sub sandwich, just a six-inch sub sandwich. Six-inch sub sandwich. That still has 54 grams of carbohydrate in it. We divide it by four, and we know that that's going to be 13 and a half teaspoons of inflammation in the brain. So a lot of people on Saturday, they rush in. Well, I mean, I think a typical Saturday might be they start out with pancakes. Mm-hmm. and Or sweet rolls. <laughs> yep. And then they stop quick for a sub sandwich. So just think about that. They maybe have... You know, 38, 40 teaspoons of sugar before lunch. Yes. That's a lot of sugar that for the brain. That is a lot of sugar. And with. we've got a question, I think, about carbs. Okay. All right. Good morning, Miss Janet. You have a question for us? Yeah, I have a question. I've been trying to cut out bad carbs and processed foods. And I noticed that or read that, like, the dark-colored fruits are better. So, like, blackberries and raspberries. Mm-hmm. But I'm a sweet tooth, and I really feel like I need more options. And blueberries seem to upset my stomach, but inside they're not dark. So any suggestions on fruits with, like, a low glycemic index? Well, you know, any berry is lower glycemic, and so are peaches. All peaches are? Yep. Where where pears are higher and bananas are higher. But it doesn't mean that you can't have some. So, you know, maybe have a half a pear. Okay. And or a ha- half a banana. Yeah. Or on that banana path and it never stops. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, and then grapes are a little higher, but maybe have 10 to 12 or, you know, count them out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it also comes down to not just the choices that you're making of which fruit you're choosing, but also how much of that fruit. Yep. And then also if you eat it with a little bit of protein and some fat, especially the fat. So if you had grapes and some nuts, that yeah, would slow. Okay, that will slow the release of the sugar down. Okay. So then you're then it's fine. Okay, good. But awesome. you know, and and I did just recently read that you know the sugar that's coming from real fruit and vegetables is processed better in our body than the processed carbs that comes from, you know, rice or wheat or those kinds of things. Okay. Good. Good to know. Thank you, ladies. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. So kind of going back to what she was just Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, we've learned that the brain of people with Alzheimer's, and I think that we had this on one of our shows, they cannot use sugar for energy. No. That... In fact, sugar is blocked from the cells of the brain. Hmm. So if you think about this, it's similar to insulin resistance in the brain. It's like type 3 diabetes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Mary Newport, and we had her on the show a few weeks, a month ago. Yep. 
And in her book, Alzheimer's, What If There Is a Cure, told us that Alzheimer's brains cannot use sugar as energy, but it can use ketones, which are created when we use coconut oil, coconut milk, and MCT oil. And those are some really good fats for our brain and for our bodies. And the fact that they make those ketones is pretty amazing. And the Alzheimer brain is looking for this fuel, but because of all that insulin resistance, it can't use the sugar from our foods, from those carbohydrates, which makes it call out for more sugar. That's an interesting thing to think about. The body's getting confused. It's full of sugar, but it can't use it. And so it, it says, I want more. I want more. Mm-hmm. It doesn't realize it's there. And we believe this is the reason why so many people with Alzheimer's want sugar foods, carb foods, but they can never satisfy that craving because their brain cells are not able to use the sugar for energy. So just a question to think about. Are you having more sugar or carb cravings? And is your brain trying to get more energy? Because maybe these sugar cravings are just biochemical. Maybe it's a pre-indication of this insulin resistance in your brain. So I think, Brenna, is, do we have a caller? That... We, oh, yep, we sure do. Okay, we'll take mm-hmm. that because I want to talk about this topic just a little bit more. Absolutely. We'll, have, we'll do that after the show, after the call. Yes, good morning, Miss Becky. You've got a question for us? Yes, um, I was wondering what foods are best to introduce to someone who's been sick, um, you know, with a stomach flu? Especially I, a child. For a small child, I think sometimes it goes back to kind of what they're able to tolerate at that point. You know, maybe a little applesauce mm-hmm. or... Well, no, this child is six, not a baby. Okay. Okay, well, I still think a six-year-old when I was sick, okay. my mom would give me applesauce and... You know, if uh, you could make uh, a homemade chicken vegetable soup... Mm-hmm. Would that be something? I mean, that would be easy to digest. Mm-hmm. It, would that be something that the child would eat? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, I think another thing is bake up some sweet potatoes Yeah. and and mash those up because those are really easy to digest if you've been sick. Okay. So yeah. just think of those real simple foods. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank yes. you. All right. You're welcome. So, I, you know, as we were talking, Brenna, about the fact that and this, this, they have really found this from research mm-hmm. that the brain of pe- someone that has Alzheimer's is not able to accept the sugar into the cells for energy. Exactly. So it's looking for energy, but it can't accept the sugar. Mm-hmm. So what happens is then they want more sugar and more sugar and more sugar, but it doesn't work. And then Dr. Mary Newport found that ketones which are in coconut oil, coconut milk, and MCT oil, helps. In fact, before the show, you were talking about a client with mm-hmm. that you had take MCT oil. Want yeah, to share that? I would love to. So I have a client. Her name is Betty, and she's been following the weight and wellness way of eating for a long time. So when she came in, we didn't have to work on her diet. She already had that mm-hmm. down pat. However, she had had a stroke. I believe, in the last year or two, I think it was. And the problem she was really struggling with was what they call stroke fatigue. She's just very fatigued. And she didn't like that because she wants to be out and doing stuff and being active. 
And what we did was I had her start taking about a teaspoon of MCT oil three times a day. Mm -hmm. And within a week or two, she had more energy. Okay. Because her brain is using those ketones now. Perfect. It's amazing. But we do have to go to our last break here. Okay. And you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you missed Madeline Bader's story that was in the St. Paul Pioneer Press, I encourage you to go to our website, uh, weightandwellness.com, and click on Madeline's picture on our homepage, and we'll go right to her story. So what is Madeline's story? Well, yes, sure, she lost 30 pounds, but that was not the story. She got rid of her intense back pain and back spasms that had interfered with her life for 30 years. She had had 30 years of terrible back pain. Well, how did she do it? It wasn't with a chiropractic adjustment or an acupuncturist or pain pills. It was changing her eating habits and taking a few key supplements. And within six weeks, all of her pain was gone. It was a miracle. That is a miracle. Nutrition therapy is so much more than counting calories or points or taking the latest Dr. Oz magical weight loss supplement. It is finding the nutrition solution to pain and inflammation. If you have a chronic health condition and are willing to get rid of relief or are willing to get rid of it and you want relief and you want some help doing it, give us a call at 651-699-3438 to set up an appointment or for our podcast listeners, We also do phone and Skype appointments. We'll be back in a minute. It's the time of year when everyone wants to diet. The trick is choosing the right one. Now, there are those plans that say, eat whatever you want. Well, that's kind of what got you here in the first place, right? How about getting to the bottom of why you want what you want? Because there was a time when people didn't want that stuff. Mac and cheese, bagels, cookies, chips. Yeah, mostly because they didn't exist. But obesity didn't really either. The challenge these days is to either avoid those foods, which can be torture, or stop craving them, which might sound kooky, but is entirely possible, and your best chance for success. The folks at Nutritional Weight and Wellness can help you make it happen without pills, points, or packages. Just real food. It's sciency, not sexy, but you can be. To sign up for Nutrition for Weight Loss, call Nutritional Weight and Wellness at 651-699-3438 or visit weightandwellness.com. Well, welcome back to the Sheen of Nutrition. You know, if you live in that New Richmond area, we will be teaching the Weight and Wellness series of classes in New Richmond, and that's going to start February 18th, and it is... The class is from 5 to 7. So another interesting thing, if you want to meet Madeline Bader, the lady who got rid of her back pain, and she's going to be there. She'll share her story personally. And she's really going to be there taking the class. And uh, she's going to be taking the weight and wellness class right along with you. So if you're interested, please contact the New Richmond Community Education um, Department at 715-243-7421. And they'll help you get signed up. And, you know, I'm sure if you live in the New Richmond area, you just call up that school. Mm-hmm. and and Or you can call us, and we will certainly give you the number. And our number is 651-699-3438. And we have some callers. We do. We've got a caller on the line. 
Good morning, Miss Ann. You have a question for us? Yeah, I was just wondering. I just kind of came in late, but talking about the good fats in the brain, I mean, would that help in some sort of seizure disorders as well? Like if you had any sort of electro- electric thing going on with your brain, could that fat, you know, the, the coconut oil or that MCT oil that you were talking about? Yes, we believe, I mean, we believe that it would. You know, there's an interesting, long, long, many years ago, there was a some research done on children who taking the medication did not control the seizures. So they actually did, and they still do this, they did what is called a ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. which is very, very low in carbohydrate and very, very high in fat. Okay. And they were actually able to eliminate the seizures. Okay. Now, it is a very difficult diet to stay on. You know, we think, oh, how can it be that bad to eat that much fat? Well, it is hard because it's very limited in the amount of carbohydrates and somewhat limited in the amount of protein. Yeah. So, and okay. with kids, you just have to make sure that they're getting enough other nutrients so that they're still growing yes. with it as okay. well. Yeah. But okay, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. That is inter- that's that was a great interesting question. That was a really good question mm-hmm. and that's I I love learning about that side of nutrition and mm-hmm. but kind of coming back to what we were talking about. So we were discussing how we're maybe people are eating lots of carbs, their bodies aren't tolerating it well and yet their body still craves more carbohydrates. And that can be an indication, maybe a pre-indication of insulin resistance not just in the body but in the brain as well. So, Brenna, I have another study, and we love studies. We've got lots of them this morning. <laughs> yes. So this was reported in the Diabetes Journal, and that was in May of 2012, and they found that mice treated with sucrose, which, you know, that's table sugar, yep, had a significant increase in the amyloid plaque, you know, you know and that's kind of the hallmark of Alzheimer's. Everybody has heard of this amyloid plaque. Yes. The mice were given sucrose or sugar. They developed metabolic alterations, much like those found in type 2 diabetes. And from this study, the evidence suggests that having diabetes or high blood sugars increases the risk of developing Alzheimer's. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And we know even a mild elevation of blood sugar has a strong relation to developing Alzheimer's disease. And another study published, Mm -hmm. this is even more recent, of August... 8th, 2013, in the New England Journal of Medicine found that even mild elevations of blood sugars compromised brain structure and led to shrinkage of the brain. So, which really says if you're having a little bit higher blood sugars than you should, and then, you know, maybe above 95, yeah, or at least above 100. For sure. It's going to shrink your brain. That's scary stuff right there. And these researchers concluded that, well, they state, our results suggest that higher glucose numbers may be a risk factor for dementia, even among people without diabetes. And we know there's a lot of people walking around with higher blood sugars and they don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So how do you control your glucose level or how do you control your blood sugar levels? You know, maybe, and we hear this all the time, don't we, in the consultation? Oh, my gosh. You know, people will say, well, my mother had diabetes, so it must be genetic. Wrong. (laughs) Really, most of these diseases, there's only a 10% connection to genetics. Yes. That's not very much. So that excuse 
or, you know, that reason that people believe. And I won't even say it's an excuse. It's what people really believe. Mm -hmm. It is not true. No. We control our blood sugars from our food choices. Exactly. And I think some of us, as we get older, Mm -hmm. we have to do a much more careful job of doing this controlling. So if we eat popcorn and pop at the movies, we're going to have higher glucose numbers for a while. No question about it. Because that turns into sugar in our bloodstream. That's just liquid candy with fluffy popped candy. Yes. Yeah. If we eat dry cereal for breakfast or for a bedtime snack, which a lot of people do, yeah, we're going to have higher glucose blood sugar numbers. Mm-hmm. If we eat a bag of chips or a half a bag of chips or more than a couple of chips, yeah, up goes our blood sugar numbers. Well, even something like a tortilla chip, just two tortilla chips turns into a good teaspoon or so of sugar, of sugar. in the bloodstream. And who eats two tortilla chips? Uh, no, not, not this person. Not me. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> but here's another one that is really shocking to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Campbell's tomato soup and crackers. Oh, if yeah. If you eat that for lunch, that is basically a lot of sugar. Up goes your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So sugar and processed carbs, they're everywhere in our diet in the U.S. You know, would you be willing to make a commitment to yourself that you won't eat the bagel or the hamburger bun or the bowl of oatmeal so you can control your blood sugar? We've made that commitment. Oh, yeah. And our clients are making those commitments. And you just mentioned many of our clients' favorite foods. So let's suggest a few good substitutions. Maybe instead of popcorn and pop, how about almonds with a few dark chocolate chips and maybe a mineral water to yeah, go with it? When you get into the theater, you know, I guess you put the almonds and the chocolate chips, especially the dark chocolate chips, in your bag and in your purse. Yep. <laughs> I do that all the time. And then you buy a bottle of water. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So instead of uh, cereal for a bedtime snack, how about whipping up some cream and scooping it over some blueberries? Or my dad's been doing a lot of apples and peanut butter. Okay, that sounds good too. Yeah, you get the crunch and that little sweet and salty. Or instead of a bag of chips, how about some cream cheese and celery? That's delicious. Or even how about maybe some more of those almonds or pecans? Those are great, just kind of as that grab-and-go snack. We just need to keep it too about a quarter of a cup, mm-hmm. so we don't go overboard with them. And I suggest to clients to substitute out their sugar with some type of healthy fat. That fat is so important because remember, those processed carbs, they're bad for the brain, while real fats are good and they're protective of our brains. So, you know, back in 1992, our government encouraged people to follow a high-carb, low-fat diet. And in 10 years, the rate of diabetes increased threefold. That's 300%. That's a lot. So, so real foods. Thank you for listening today. Thank, thank you, Brenna. Thank you, Dar. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.